Future Hacker Life Path Future. Welcome back, everybody. This is the second episode with Shinta Dubu. Shinta, welcome back. I just would like to ask um, last follow-up question from you know the end of the first episode. So you know we were talking about being an entrepreneur and searching for funding, and we ended with your phrase: "If you have an idea, just do it." So. You know, we did interview Francisco Santolo. He's known as the startup hacker by Forbes. He's from Argentina, actually a citizen of the world and one of our future hackers. And one of the things that he says is that, you know, when building your business, your startup, like when venturing, to forget most of the things that you learned on the business schools, the traditional ones, you know, about, you know, focusing so much on the business plan and, and investing so much from your own pocket or your, your families, right? Or your friends, uh, depending how lucky you are. And just, you know, getting paper and pen and, and, and drawing and talking to people and putting the idea on the market and spending the less as you can and doing partnerships. And if you're lucky enough to start monetizing it, avoid the best as you can of going to search for funding. So my question to you is one, if, if you agree with this concept and I'm making it really simple, right? You know, so just everybody, just if you really want to learn about that, just search Francisco Santolo on, on our podcast list, but I'm making it simple. So that's the first question. And the second one is, you know, consider that you're already monetizing, like why, why go for an investment unless you're going to be a product company and you need to scale and you need to invest and it's mandatory to your business. So which would be the best strategy in that case? Okay. So I also agree, like, actually, you can start your company from zero and start with a pen of paper. That's true. And you start with that idea. And idea can grow into partnership because yeah you do need partners you cannot do anything by yourself basically but i never encourage my my uh, the startup that talks to me actually to actually start looking for fun from the beginning i never never like encourage them i said you just have to bootstrap bootstrap like find a way to actually make money to fund your own startup. So for instance, you you know you want to create an app and you know like this app will, you know, cost you a certain amount. So go do a business that can actually make money right away, even though maybe it's not much, but it's something that actually can fund your dream, whatever's your dream to create these apps or whatever. So personally, I never tell my startup to look for funding from day one. I mean, that's just impossible anyway. And I started my startup with zero as well. I look for partners. So I find like partners who have the same vision and mission. And we put in money at the same, like, you know, we put in small money and we have to think out of the box how we can create money to actually fund whatever we're doing in the beginning. Because, you know, at that time, you know, there was no venture capital, no angel investors in my case. Well, it's different now, even though there's tons of people probably want to fund your your business. But I mean, like if it's the right investor, investor will never put in money if it's just a piece of paper of ideas. Right. So at the end of the day, you just have to hustle, find a way to create that 
MVP, the first step of creating a product and actually make make it work first, like, you know, how to find that traction by doing a small pilot project on a certain community or whatever. And, and at the end of the day, if you do need the money, then, you know, you can go to an angel and then after the angel investor, then you can talk to venture capital. But again, the less investor actually for me is the better. You would talk to venture capital when you do need to scale in terms of scale. Like in my case, I would always tell the startup, okay, let's think of Indonesia first because Indonesia is such a huge country. We're 17,000 islands, by the way. So we're so spread out. And if you want to conquer Indonesia, sometimes you do, you do need the funding because it's different, different islands, different cities. But because we're such a big country, if you really nail the business model, you can actually make money really, really soon. And at the end of the day, you may not need the money yet, even though you want to conquer the whole Indonesia, you probably will need the money when you want to conquer the region, which is Southeast Asia. Then you go to other countries, our neighboring countries. So if you can like get away without having an investor for a bit, it's, it's better because, you know, it's less hassle because when you start having an investor or venture capital, then you have to start doing a lot of reporting. And then you'll have to start answering all type of questions from them, from the investors. And even changing the strategy, right? So depending on how it goes. So it's, it's not, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So for me, it's like, because that's how I did it as well. I mean, like until today, I mean, it's still like the same situation. I, I don't have any investor at the moment until today. In, in Bubu, the investor is practically me and then my brothers. But other than that, we just stay as it is we try to to grow what's needed and then probably what we do is we spin off the, the venture under it that's probably when we probably need the investor if we want to scale them yeah okay great so let's cover the part of about, about scaling and now we are not just talking about uh startups right so any local company any indonesian company so you also had a, a side of the business, which is the, the collab, right? So it's uh, the collaboration piece that you're actually helping local brands get global reach. You know, at some point you need to expand your reach, your audience, right? So which do you find uh, the main challenges? Is there any like strikingly, you know, cultural difference that makes it more challenging to make a local brand global or do you have maybe any specific case that you'd like to share with us? Okay, so let me talk about that venture. It's called LabX. So LabX is a collaborative agency that we built under Bubu. I forgot to talk about that in the beginning, actually. So we have we have the Bubu Gaming, StartupIndonesia.co, and the third one is LabX, basically. So LabX is a collaborative agency with our mission vision is to actually bring local brands, Indonesian local brands, to the platform of the world. So, but to be able to work with a global brand, you need to have a great, a strong presence first in Indonesia, right? Probably that's the most challenged. A lot of the global brands are, I'm sorry, the local brands are, you know, having even hard time to actually establish their, their presence in Indonesia because just so many, so many, so many local brands here in the country because we are, we're quite creative people. I mean, like we create really great local brands, but our weakness is actually in marketing. Personally, I think 
we can do better with marketing our people super creative but at the end of the day i think is our way of communicating i guess um i don't know i mean like comparing to our other neighboring countries our weakness is i think is more on the marketing side so that's why i was thinking like maybe this is probably how we can solve you know if we work with a local brand and then we help them actually grow first in in indonesia make sure it's well known in indonesia once they have a stronghold in the country then we take a global brand to actually collaborate with them i mean like once they collaborate with global brand most of the time there's not like a specific challenge but but it depends like for instance right uh, right now we're actually working with a very famous local brand from indonesia called compass shoes that brand literally like Two days ago, I think they sold about two thousand five hundred pairs in fourteen minutes, for instance, online. So they can sell like five thousand pieces, also like in thirteen minutes, stuff like that. It's because the power of their storytelling. So they always create shoes that has storytelling behind it. So when you know they asked me to become their board of advisor, I said like I think you guys are ready to go next step, which is you know going global, like collab with a global brand. So at the end of this year, um I cannot mention the name who they're doing the collab with yet because you know it's supposed to be a surprise, but I can say they're they're working with a very famous global indie band musician. It's going to be something huge and cool because you know Indonesia kids are super super creative so they come up with stories how to create patterns in the shoes using the music when we start working with the global name actually i was quite surprised cuz you know i think it's just about making sure you are working with the right people i mean like not the right people but the right brand cuz i know like compass shoes is always into indie indie things like indie music indie brands so when I saw this really super cool global indie band. I was like, I think this is like really a good fit if they work together. And it was, I mean it is like, you know, we we had like the creative session together with the band. I mean, the musician it's like they talk the same language. So, I think the the key is like just making sure you know and you you are actually helping to collab with the right brand. So it's not just about, you know, collab with any brand, but make sure they have the same mission, the same wavelength, the same language. So, you know, it's not that easy just like finding a brand and then like, okay, let's marry them together. It's not it's not really like that. It's just you have to understand. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it has to be the right match, right? Yes. It makes a lot of sense. Okay, so, you know, now I'd like to go back to the gaming industry. You mentioned that it's, you know, there's a lot of uh similarities to Brazil as well. And not only about user behavior but but the gaming industry and the, the esports as well. So I'd love to know your opinion regarding the spread of immersive technologies to the gaming industry. You know, we've been covering a lot like how, you know, VR and AR is going to transform uh this industry. How long, like if you agree with that, or it, maybe it's just going to be one more technology to be added to the stack? 
What's your view regarding the use of immersive technologies, having your own esports actually team yourself, right, club? Well, actually, my team has not been <laughs> playing games that are <laughs> AR-based. Basically, we're still like on the mobile game, the PC game. But I think when you talk about AR, I think it's going to be there for quite some time just because it's not just going to be about gaming when you talk about uh, virtual reality and all that. It's already part of the lifestyle now. I mean, it's part of everything, education, health, anything, you name it. Like, actually, I'm also uh, part of the board of advisor of this company in Silicon Valley called Turing Sense. It's an AR company that does, um, well, it starts with one app that they're doing for yoga. So actually, yoga app, if you like to do yoga, this this app can actually have an instructor, your yoga instructor in the AR form, <laughs> virtual reality form. And then it can help you like, you know, in yoga, there's different poses, right? And so this, this app can actually correct your poses as well. Oh, you know, this is super important. I always wondered how people are using apps to do yoga because, you know, if you're doing something wrong, it could go really bad. That's really cool. And hold on, I need to make a comment here. As you already noticed about Shinta, you know, she she's doing so much that she just keep reminding, like, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm advising those guys. <laughs> you just keep figuring out new things about her. It's pretty cool. Okay, so sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I just had to comment that. Yeah, so, yeah, basically, um, I think AR is going to be there for a long time just because it's going to be part of the life. And, and you know, Facebook even changed their name to Meta. So, <laughs> we know, like, this is going to be a while. I mean, like, it's going to be around for a while. It's not just going to be a technology, but it's going to be the technology down the day, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I did an interview regarding using AR and VR for rehab, which is pretty awesome and, and addictions and, and phobias. So there, there's so much on this field. It's really cool. So um, still about gaming and I will start with gaming and I'll move to tech space in general, but keeping the esports right now. So you mentioned the challenge of increasing women's presence. And I remember that you commented that when you talk about the users, like, you know, the gamers, it's almost half-half, you know, men and women. But when it comes about making it more serious or a profession or, you know, making making like the tournaments, then this number decreases drastically. And you're actually working on this challenge as well as how to, to increase women's presence. So what's your thought on that? So in 2019, when I did the tournament for, we call it Bubu Esport Tournament, and when I saw the numbers of women gamers in Indonesia, it's actually 46%. So it's almost 50%. I was like, how come I, I don't really see many women in the esport team? So we decided to create a women tournament as well. So it's both men and women. I mean, like we separate them in the beginning because, yeah, because like, I think it's just the culture, like men don't really play game together with women in a, in a team, right? So we created the women tournament and also men tournament at that time we were playing PUBG mobile and we changed some culture that's been a habit industry so one of the thing when you have a women tournament usually the prize pool is super small compared to what men gets so at our tournament we said same prize pool big prize pool both men and women so suddenly 
a lot of the team in Indonesia created a women team just for the sake because our prize pool is so huge, just the same as men. Suddenly, like so many young girls, very smart. You know, if you play game, you have to be smart. You know, you cannot be dumb and play game. I'm sorry. But, you know, playing game is so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, it's a strategy, like a strategy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we created something different because almost seven, more than 7,000 people came. It was before COVID, by the way, just before COVID. It was on September 2019 we did this. 7,500 people came to the venue, watched, and we were trending on YouTube because we had a lot of women gamers. And I think that was like a new scene for Indonesia. And the fact that we gave the same prize pool, that was also different. And suddenly all the team created women team as well because it was worth it to them because they see the prize pool, right? That started the new trend of having women tournament in Indonesia. So, you know, we kind of have a piece of, you know, creating that that story of having a women tournament in Indonesia. So, yeah, I think for the esport industry, women should have the same voice as the men because we don't need physical for that. We just need to use our brain, our focus, right? Our, our, the strategy and all that. I'm sure like any women or men can, can do it. Yes. And, and you know, and, and so using this example to make it a broader to the tech space, you mentioned that, you know, most girls don't want it to be in tech because, you know, I don't know, it's not attractive enough or it's not cool enough, but on the same time, we have a real problem today, which is, you know, we really need to start working today in building the technologies of the future in an unbiased way. If there's such thing, right, which is super hard, we, we need diversity, not only cultural diversity, you know, race, but gender for sure, right? We need to build things that are going to make sense for everybody as well to have an inclusive future. So that's a real issue. And we... so. You gave a great example that you identified what was making women not be interested. You addressed that, and now you were able to, uh, through your example, to increase the presence. So how to make it work for tech in general? Do you think it should be like a collective effort that should start from your home, like the way we are raised, you know, the family's culture, the education to be taught on the schools? What's your thought on that? Yeah, I think women don't really like to go into tech. It's just because... First, it was stereotyping that tech is a man's world. But at the end of the day, what you need is role model. Because once you see there are women who are, you know, enjoying themselves in the tech space or making it in the tech space, and then I'm sure there will be more women going into tech. So, yeah, it can start from home especially. But then now everyone is into tech, even, you know, your daily life. You know, you're using your mobile phone, but it's not about only starting from home, but actually looking at the role model. I think that's the most important because I know in Indonesia, a lot of women ended up like, oh, I don't don't want to really to go into tech because I don't know, it just doesn't sound cool for women. So we have to make it sound cool for women as well. So one of the things that we started is an incubation program with a number of partners with include uh, UN Women. We call it Super Girls Intact Incubation Program. <laughs> so uh, the Super Girls Intact, we are actually incubating girls who are on their last years of university. 
We have four pillars under this incubation program. So we have uh, financial inclusion, we have health, education, and career opportunity. And the women that are on the last year of university can join this program and we incubate them for four, four months and they have to solve problems under the, those four pillars. They can pick one of the pillars, of course. And at the end of the day, that's, that's one of the things that we want to encourage women to actually just experience creating apps or you know, solving problems using tech-based solutions. Why we chose to do it with the last year's university student is I think that's the crossroad where they, they're thinking what to do, right? Like, should I work? in this company or should I start my own company? So that's why we wanted to work with girls on the last years of their university time. And that's one of the way to actually involve women and, you know, try out technology. We make it very simple, four months incubation program, and we supply them and we work with partners who are in the tech space, like in terms of programmers we provide with the partners like if you need programmers you need to create a website we have partners for you to work with so it's not scary but it's something like because they come into groups and then you know they can talk to each other and then at the end of the day once they have the business model done and everything we want them to actually create the product as well so it, it has to come to this this type of experience that they have to experience it first before they actually decide whether they want to do tech. Because if it's just people saying like, hey, let's go into technology, for women, especially here in Indonesia, they think it's like, oh my God, it's such a man thing. We don't want to go there. I'd rather, you know, do other things like create a, a company that, you know, selling cookies or whatever. But the thing is, all businesses will need tech at the end of the day, even though you're just selling cookies or dresses. At the end of the day, you're not putting digital in your business, then you'll be far away, you know, left behind. So, yeah, we try to to help encourage women to enjoy technology by doing the small thing like the incubation program and all that. Yeah. That was so lovely. So lovely talking to you, Shinta. Thank you so much again. It was a great conversation. And, you know, if you have any last words, any final comments you'd like to give to our listeners, you know, uh, the final words are yours. Thank you very much. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Yes, thank you so much, Maria. I just want to say it's been such a pleasure and an honor to be invited in this Future Hack session of yours. And, you know, I would love to give my last words to all well it's not my last words but <laughs> this is my my last one for this session <laughs> that you know if you want to start your business or you know start your startup just you know just start and don't be afraid to fail because i think failure is just part of the journey and it's actually an investment for you know where you're going to be at <laughs> perfect thank you bye 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 Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future.